if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. So this is going to be our theme for this chapter. We see in verse 2, the emphasis being here that they're unified. This body of Christians are completely unified. They are of the same mind. They're maintaining a same love. They are united in spirit, and they are intent on a single purpose. Now, verse 2 isn't necessarily the theme. Verse 2 is the byproduct of what happens next. Verse 3 and 4 is going to be the theme of this chapter. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard others as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Now what's going to happen as we're studying through Philippians chapter 2, they're going to be, Paul's going to be bringing up different, uh, different people who represent these characteristics. And so as we're studying these people, we're going to be going back to chapters or to verses 3 and 4 um, and being able to think about this and how this applies into these different people that Paul brings up. He's going to bring up, first one, Christ Jesus. Now, he's going to be the big one. We're going to, I mean, he's, he's the one that everyone knows from this chapter in this scripture. He's also going to bring up the Philippians and himself. And then he's going to talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus. All of these people are going to be embodying what we see here in verses 3 and 4. So let's go to the first one, which is Christ Jesus. And let's read again what we're going to see in him. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And so it starts off in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, so that's the first thing we see, that he existed in the form of God. He had complete equality as God himself. This is the highest position you could possibly go. And yet what we see with what he did he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He, did, or he had the right to hold on to his position. But notice as this list goes down, and I'm going to bring, bring in out these characteristics, he is lowering himself more and more and more all throughout these. So just remember that he, Jesus shared equality with God, the highest position there could possibly ever exist. But he empties himself. He lets go of this thing. He lets go of his glory. He lets go of himself, of his desires. And so continuing in verse 7, he emptied himself. He laid aside his privileges. 
and taking on the form of a bondservant, a man. And you won't, you won't even think of just being a man. To, to be born into this world as a king would have been humiliating to the, to the place where God was before. But yet he came as a servant of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility is to lower yourself. So if you think of where Jesus was at the highest place, he brought himself beneath all of us. Jesus was the most humble person that had ever existed. He took off, or he took his glory, his wants, and his desires, and he laid himself lower to the cross for us and to obey the will of his Father. So I got a little picture here to be able to show us exactly what Jesus is doing here. What he's doing is he's lowering himself, which is raising God up. Lowering yourself to be able to raise God up. And what God does in the pattern that God has set up, when he says that humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you, he will always raise you up. And now both of them are at a higher place and are greater glorified through Jesus humbling himself and becoming obedient as a man to death on a cross. The next... And that and that's leads into the last section here in verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the humility that Jesus took on to himself to be able to lower himself down from his equal place with God, in the end, brought about a glory and a, a power that had not existed before that to God. And something I want us to be able to acknowledge here is that every knee is going to bow. So my encouragement with, with this section is it's better to bow the knee before he makes us bow the knee. Because everyone will bow their knees to God. And the name that he is given, I thought for the longest time that Jesus was the name. They gave him the name Jesus. That was the name. That's not the name that he's talking about here. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the name. He is the ruler. He is the king. He is complete authority over all. And that is to the glory of God the Father. Let's go on to the next section, which is the Philippians. And that's verses 12 through 16. And the theme verse, chapter again, and I'd like us to memorize this. At the end of this, I probably would be able to, to memorize this with how much I'm going to be talking about it. 
Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So let's look at the Philippians. Verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So you see that their obedience is in God, uh, is to God, and it's not... Oops. I hit the power button. There we go. Obedience to God is not supported by Paul. Them becoming stronger means that their faith is growing. You notice that if, if their faith was built in another man, if their faith was founded on uh, the Apostle Paul, their faith would be getting weaker at this time because Paul is absent from them. But what Paul's saying here is that their faith is actually becoming stronger while he's gone. Because they're independent of Paul and they're being able to put their faith and their trust, their obedience in God himself. That's where we need to be. Um, and we cannot allow our spiritual growth and obedience to be dependent on a man. If their faith was dependent on Paul, it would be growing weaker, but it's actually growing stronger. Now we belong to God, to do His will, and that takes reverence, humility, and fear. So that's the end, end of verse 12. Um, it's a terrible verse division there because it doesn't end just like that. It says in verse 12, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We belong to God. We are His. We need to be uh, doing His will, and that takes reverence and awe. And then this is the main point that he brings up here. Simply... Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's his main point for the Philippians. And what's amazing is all the things that we can say to this world through simply not complaining. Look at what we're able to do. It, if we do all things without grumbling or complaining... It's proving yourselves to be blameless, innocent children of God, above reproach, in the middle of a crooked and perverse world, among whom you appear as lights. And let me elaborate on this light that we are supposed to be. The darker a place gets, the brighter a light becomes. If I were to hold out a lighter or a candle and it would be a small little flame, it wouldn't really be that all impressive. Because it's in the middle of the day, the lights are on, 
it, it'll just be there. But if it was nighttime and the power went out for miles around and, this was, and it was overcast, this was the only source of light, it'd be able to light up this room pretty well. We'd be able to, to make our way through this room with just the light of a simple candle. The darker the world becomes, the brighter we ought to shine. If, if we get dimmer as the world gets darker, Satan has too tight a grip on us. And we need to be very weary and we need to get him out of our lives. We need to be shining our light and it cannot grow dim as the world gets darker. But as the world does get darker, we should only shine brighter. And then the last part here, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. This holding fast to the word of life until the day of Christ, it's an active holding. It's an active obedience. It is something that we need to be able to, to exercise daily, to cling on to it in obedience. It is something that we need to be doing constantly. And we need to realize that the word of life has the power to give life. And as, as hard as we would cling to life, if we were drowning, we need to be able to cling to the word while we're here on earth. So let's go on to the next one. This is the Apostle Paul. Do all things, or do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Verse 17. But if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Now, Paul has been struggling over these Christians. It is, it is something that Paul is constantly working on. And he has invested so much. He has labored and toiled over the Philippians to build up their faith. And what he uses here is he calls it a if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. So there are two things that I want to look at with the drink offering. The first one is that you have this idea of an, a sacrifice in the Old Testament. You're, you're, you're burning this calf or uh, goat or whatever you're sacrificing, and you're burning it, and the idea is that as you're burning this sacrifice, the smoke will go up to God as a soothing aroma. And it's, it's later uh, related to it's being mixed up with the prayers of the saints. Um, and so the smoke goes up as a soothing aroma to God. That's the image that's with these sacrifices. 
Now, if you've ever doused a uh, fire with some water, you notice it just like explodes in smoke. And that's the idea that the Old Testament sacrifices were doing, that you're pouring this water on top of another sacrifice to build up more smoke to make a, a, a greater pleasing aroma to God. And so what the idea here is that it's pouring out an offering on top of another offering to make the other one better. And so that's what Paul's doing. He's pouring himself out to be able to make the sacrifice of the Philippians' obedience better. The other thing about a drink offering, it is the only sacrifice that there is no leftovers to. There's nothing left. Normally with a sacrifice, after you finish burning it, there's still a carcass there. So you have to be able to take that out and throw that out of the camp. But with a drink offering, you imagine a pitcher of water that's being poured over this fire and it just evaporates. It's gone. Every single drip is being poured onto this sacrifice. So Paul's saying, if I am giving every drop of myself to be able to make your sacrifice better, look at what he says. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So he's able to joy or rejoice in giving himself everything that he has. And so many times when we give somebody so much of our energy, so much of our time, we can become embittered against them because they don't appreciate it as much as we think Jesus is better to God. He is so enveloped and engulfed in the concerns of God that he doesn't care how other people view what he is doing, his sacrifice. So Paul has given everything. We remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, Paul writes down a bunch of things that he's gone through. He talks about so many times he's been shipwrecked, he's been stoned, he's been whipped, he's been scourged. Uh, so many times he's been uh, in, the, in the depths of the sea, uh, and, and in dangers of wilderness, dangers of robbers, dangers among his countrymen, strangers, everything, so many things that Paul goes through. And at the very end of that, what he says is, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. That's what keeps Paul up at night. Not the physical ailments that he's gone through and the persecutions that he's endured. He's caring for these churches. And he's giving everything of himself. Timothy. This is verses 19 through 24. <clears throat> Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So Paul writes about Timothy, And I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. So Timothy is the type of man that, as a young boy, starts following Paul on his journeys. 
And he never forsook Paul. These ten years when Paul first met him and first brought him on a journey, he has been with Paul. And Paul trusts him to, to uh, stay with younger churches like Ephesus to be able to encourage them, to build them up, to teach them how they ought to act, and even to appoint elders. This is the type of man that Timothy is. And he says, I have no one else of kindred spirit. This is the mindset of family and unity. And he says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And he says, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. He cares. And he is invested in the interests of Christ Jesus. For you know of his proven worth. that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I know how things will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will be coming shortly. So this is the attitude that, Paul, or that Timothy has. He's the kind of man that you can leave with a group to be able to build them up, to be able to love them, to care for them, and to strongly encourage and build up unity among the church. Gianna, I think there's somebody on the Zoom meeting. Can you let them in, please? All right, now the final person is Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus, we have never heard him in any of the other letters. But here we have Epaphroditus. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So Epaphroditus, verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my fellow brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger and minister to my needs. So you see what this person means to Paul. That Paul and Epaphroditus have a bond here. He says, he is my fellow brother, he is a fellow worker, he is a fellow soldier. He is somebody that has, has, I don't know, I, I picture this, this older person who is, who is rugged and beat up, but he is fervent, he is passionate, and he has given everything for Christ. And he is a messenger to the Philippians for the needs of Paul. Now, Epaphroditus was longing to see the Philippians, and he was worried because they heard that he was sick. And it says that about Epaphroditus, he was sick. He was very sick to the point of death. And it says that God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrows upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him, 
you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. I rejoice, or receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what is deficient in your service to me. So this is a man who has put his life on the line for Christ. It nearly killed him. But that doesn't stop him. He's traveling again. He's still, uh, he is the one that's actually bringing this letter to the Philippians. And you imagine this tie between the Philippians and Epaphroditus, and they're worried about him, and they see him, and they're just so glad because they don't know what's happened to him. I have a little goofy image to be able to show what's going on here is that Paul here is worried about the Philippians. But Paul's also worried about Epaphroditus because Epaphroditus is worried about the Philippians because the Philippians are worried about Epaphroditus because Epaphroditus was sick. So you get this image of one being worried about another, being worried about them, being worried about them. And so everyone's being worried about someone else. They're caring about other people. Now, the world doesn't see that this is right. The advice of the world is that everyone should just care about themselves. Take care of number one. As long as everyone just cared about themselves, everyone would be okay. That doesn't work in the church. That would bring up divisions. But the image that I see here is that everyone is concerned about others. And there is not one in a church that is neglected. That is the image of the church that I see in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is the lesson that I've gotten out of Philippians chapter 2. I see it as something that is powerful. I see it as something that can change the world if Christians would learn to love each other. To be less absorbed with themselves and to be able to focus more on the needs of others. So this is the lesson that I leave with you today. I hope it's been encouraging. I hope it's been building up. um, And I hope it's something that you're able to continue thinking on and reading over this scripture and that it could help you for the rest of your lives. At this time, we're going to stand and sing. And if there is any need among anyone here, any need to be baptized, become a Christian, or to... uh, renew their life with Christ to be able to get the prayers um, and the help of the family here. We are eager to help you. We are eager to, uh, to share our concerns with each other. And we pray that as 
we stand and sing, you may be able to come forward if there's any need here as we stand and sing. There were three other